Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EM360 podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Max Curtin, head of content here at EM360 and your host on today's podcast. Make sure you stay up to date with all of the latest episodes by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you go for your podcasting fix. Now, on today's episode, I'm being joined by Ian McShane. He's the field CTO at Arctic Wolf, and Ian's here to lend his expertise on vulnerability management and really how to calculate cyber risk. So, Ian, welcome to the show. Good to speak to you again. Thanks. It's good to speak to you again, too. Excellent. Uh, before we dive into the questions and tell everyone all about cyber risk, could you give um, our listeners a bit of background on yourself and Arctic Wolf? Yeah, yeah, of course. So, my name's Ian McShane. Um, and I'm the, the field CTO here at Arctic Wolf. And Arctic Wolf, to use our, our phrase, is the, the leader in security operations. And essentially, you know, what I like to say is that we're really trying to um, bring advanced capabilities um, to in cybersecurity to organizations of all sizes. And um, I guess before I was at Arctic Wolf, I've been been around the block. Um, you could say I was forged in the practitioner seat myself. And I guess I can age myself now and tell you that I started in, in IT like two decades ago as a, a call center support technician dealing with I don't know, dial-up networking connections, if you remember the, the noise that modems mm-hmm. used to make and pop three email accounts. But I've been, you know, I've been super lucky and, and I've covered many disciplines and roles, including those times as a sysadmin in vendor QA, engineering, product management. And, and really for the past, I guess, 14 or 15 years, um, the grayness on my beard tells me, I've been focused on, on cybersecurity. Um, I was fortunate as well to spend a bit of time at, at Gartner focusing on, on research and advisory and really, you know, getting to spend a lot of time understanding organizations' biggest challenges in security. Excellent stuff. A man of many experiences, which is what we want. And uh, you and me have had many chats uh, previously before doing this podcast, so it's nice to kind of have you back on and pick your brains a little bit. So we could delve into, obviously, the joyous world of cybersecurity as we've always got something to talk about, and we could be here all day, but today we're going to be talking about the cyber mm-hmm. risk element. So mm-hmm. to kick off the show, if we talk about that current state of the attack surface, from your side, what do vulnerability management and cyber risk calculations really mean today? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. So let me let me start with cyber risk calculation. So the way I think about it is that um, there's a classic risk calculation that you, you might have, um, be familiar with, um, which is the uh, likelihood of something happening multiplied by the impact of something happening is your risk. And you know we can apply that to, to cybersecurity in a, in a pretty simple way, right? The likelihood of a security incident multiplied by the impact of that incident gives you you know a risk score. You know whatever that uh, that equation comes out to doesn't necessarily mean much maybe it means a lot to you in terms of what you're measuring in your organization but honestly the way i see it is that that calculation is better used as guidance for for organizations really to focus their efforts in in two areas of security right reducing the likelihood which is you know the classic way you know thinking about prevention tools and capabilities and then reducing the impact which i guess covers things uh, like faster detection, better context for decision making, and, and I guess uh, faster uh, responses as well. So does that kind of make sense from a calculation perspective before I, I mention what vulnerability management means then? Yeah, uh, the listeners, Ian, saved me from remembering what that calculation is or what it means. So thank you, Ian. <laughs> 
no worries. I'm here to help. So, so if that's what the, the cyber risk calculation is, right? So go back to your question. It's like, what do what does vulnerability management really have to do with that? And, and vulnerability management, right? It's just it's just one piece, one part of a, a security discipline that most organizations should be familiar with, and, and all organizations need to have some kind of handle on. And the reason for that, in my opinion, right? And tell me, and tell me, Max, if this sounds, sounds ridiculous, but you know, no security is one hundred percent. I think no, of course you'll not. agree this. It's a mathematical certainty. A mathematical certainty that an incident is going to happen, right? Yeah. So, so what can we do to influence as the practitioners? You know, that likelihood and, and that impact side of the equation, and and ultimately, vulnerability management can play on on both sides of that coin. When you think about reducing the likelihood by. I guess, mitigating or, or removing internet-facing risks, right? I guess once something is known, once a, once a vulnerability or an exploit is known, it's usually pretty trivial to go and look at something like and the showdown and, and find a whole bunch of devices that are vulnerable to that, that um, exploit or attack. So, you know, that if we can figure out that left-hand side of the likelihood, you know, by reducing the internet-facing vulnerabilities, and then on the right-hand side, you know, reducing the impact when that incident occurs, right? Organizations often focus their time on just the internet-facing things, but but what happens when an incident happens and an adversary gets inside your network, right? You don't want to make that um, adversary's task any easier. So reducing the, the vulnerabilities internally is, is just as important as the, the externally-facing ones, too. As you say, it's, it's great having an equation, but... As we know in cybersecurity, there is always something's going to come up, and <laughs> yeah. you're going to be out of a job. I'm not going to have anything to talk about, so <laughs> that's that's the best way to kind of approach it. Yeah. And you know, we can't apply this to every single company. You've got your, your SMBs, you've got your startups, you've got your enterprise-sized businesses. So all of these are going to come with their own unique challenges, their own risks. So. From that equation perspective, how do you kind of see the limitations and how should each of those size organizations really approach this? Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head, right? There's no one size fits all. And I think that's one of the um, the pitfalls of certainly sitting on this side of, the side of the fence, the vendor side of the fence, right? It's that you start to see a lot of the marketing trying to paint cybersecurity as, as being easy if you have our product or easy if you have you know these sets of tools and that's not necessarily not necessarily the case right it's, it's very hard to understand where you want to start and everyone's already talking about this this skills gap right and yeah or, you know whatever whatever phrase you want to use for the inability to hire or retain um experienced staff but the reality is if you don't have folks that really understand cybersecurity and understand your business you need to get that expertise somewhere Right? If you can't hire them internally, then you should be looking externally for, for partners or organizations that help can help you understand your risks and understand the options to mitigate or reduce those risks. Yeah, 100%. But we're also still in that situation. You know, I've been talking about this for a good three, four years now. <laughs> and I think even back then it was, oh, there's a skills gap and we can't retain <laughs> X, Y, and Z. Why are we still having this conversation? Because security's hard, man. That's the problem. It is. Like, everyone's trying to find the easy button, and you buy a new tool every year, and you end up like with tools at the wazoo. When organisations start to like really understand or, or really start to get a handle on what they're trying to do, what it comes down to is operationalization, right? It's, it's taking taking stock of what you have, uh, what you've invested in, what those tools are capable of, and being able to use them in a way that goes better than just uh, one plus one equals two, right? I think that's the the fundamental desire of almost every organization, take everything that they've got and do better with it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Do you reckon, though, that 
sometimes there's too much reliance on tools because as you say there's always something coming out and oh if we do this we can patch this and if we do this we'll get rid of that issue is there too much reliance on those tools when there should be more of a focus on the training retention of people um to better not to rely on those tools as much yeah 100 percent. i mean if you look at the, a lot of the the research that analyst firms and and Experts and journalists like yourselves, you know, the pieces they put out talk about organizations having too many tools to be able to do, do good things with, right? Yeah. You, what was, I, I wish I could pull the stats off the top of my head. So these might be way, way out of line, but they're, you know, what was we'll put a disclaimer. Yeah. It's fine. The, <laughs> the average organization, let's say, has like more than 50 security tools. And in fact, I can, I can quote someone that I spoke to a few weeks ago, who's a, a, a CISO at a large company that seems to acquire companies every month by the sounds of it. But mm-hmm. because they acquire so many you know, small new divisions, they've got like 800 different vendors, <laughs> security vendors. So how do you manage that? How do you manage those tools when you've got you know, such a, a breadth of not only capability, but inherent risk in everything that's there? How do you measure that? It, it seems nuts. Yeah, practically impossible at the end of the day. So we keep trying though we keep trying but um so let's talk about obviously we, we've been kind of discussing understanding what's going on within the business and, and how people can best attack that so obviously again it depends on the size of the organization so i'm not asking for a magic number here but how often should organizations really be performing these cybersecurity threat and risk assessments i love i love these kind of questions because i've got the lamest answer of all right and it's, it's as often as possible but yeah. as lame as it is right that's true like, like to put it into perspective if you think about an organization that's got you know advanced capabilities and can invest in you know in-house continuous monitoring and and teams of threat hunters that, that look at risk 24 by 7, you'd argue that their, their risk is, is probably lower, but they're doing everything they can as, as, as often as possible. And that's what security operations centers bring, right, or, or SOC, SOC. It's not just about, you know, that tactical responding to work and, and going through alerts, but honestly, that operationalization, once you have the visibility and the controls in place, you can start to delve into the strategic tasks. You start to go beyond just thinking about, the endpoint itself, maybe, and start to really make use of this you know, vast amounts of security telemetry that every organization is generating already, but maybe just doesn't have the opportunity to use. Yeah, exactly. It's having that access and having the time as well, because we were just obviously talking about having that shortage, having people, because you guys in the cybersecurity field, it's nonstop. It's there's no like, oh, I've got twenty minutes free. I'll just uh, do a little pen test, see what's going on. There, there isn't that luxury. Um, yeah. So, do you think there is a way instead of doing a full audit and assessments, are there smaller steps that can kind of be taken just to stay on top if organizations don't feel like they can do the full assessments? Absolutely. I mean, say so, like this industry again. Like, there's so many vendors, so many tools that it can be frustrating and confusing. But on the flip side of that, it means that we're fortunate enough to have, I don't know, thousands of writers and marketers providing guidance and frameworks uh, in our industry. And, and, you know, there's so many of them that, it, of course, can lead to analysis paralysis. But I think there are some of them that are, are worthwhile. And I think any organization, for example, could take the NIST cybersecurity framework. Um, you familiar with that one? Lay it on me. Give me a, give me a definition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple, I guess, at a high level, right? It's, it's five aspects. Identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I need to spend much time explaining what protect and detect and respond mean, right? Because yeah. they're at the core of every security vendor's marketing, and it's been 
don't know, the catchphrase for like 11 years now, I'm sick of it, everyone must be sick of it. Right? <laughs> Basically, those, those three things mean block everything malicious that you can, and then as soon as you can, and then also, you know, make sure you find as much suspicious activity and respond to it as fast as possible, right? protect, detect and respond. Look, I say everyone's everyone's heard of them, but I highlight them here because I think of those five, the main reason I see organizations stuck in this kind of, you know, perpetual tactical approach to cybersecurity and, and firefighting all the time is because, you know, they've been led to believe that they should spend the majority of their budget looking at those three, right? Especially on the detection side. And so that that leaves the, you know, two critical elements, if you like, uh, identify and, and recover overlooked. Um, identify completely different to you know protecting and, and responding and detecting. Like identify is really taking stock, like I said earlier. Of, you know what do you have? And one of the reasons I think this is overlooked is because asset management is hard. And configuration management and inventory is is not only really really hard. It's relatively boring and unsexy compared to you know stopping adversaries in their tracks. But, you know, if you think about it, if you know you know what your assets are, if you're able to classify your data, if you're able to organize controls and access by, by role and need, you can really start to, you know, truly understand that exposure and then prioritize the work that your teams need to do, not only tactically in that protect, detect, response phase, but also strategically. Does that, does that kind of make sense? Does, I'm not sure if I've accurately described what identify means, but it basically means knowing everything, right? Yeah, no, I followed along. So if I followed along, the, the <laughs> listener should be good. <laughs> yeah, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. But the reason, I mean, the reason that identify is important is because if you don't know what you have, you can't measure it and you can't protect it. And um, but it's it's something that's often skipped. And then at the other end, at the other side, right after you've done some of the identify, because let's be honest, not not everyone's going to be able to do all of it. And you're trying to protect as much as you can and detect and respond. You've got this recover phase which I almost never hear people talking about. And this is, in my opinion, one of the most important, right? This is the kind of the strategic piece, I guess, that that keeps your, your security posture moving because, you know, security doesn't stop when you install something or, or you know, have a policy in place, in place, like security is a journey. So you use this recover phase to, you know, learn from your mistakes, learn from others, and most importantly, you know, test response plans and have that um, understanding of what happens before you have an emergency. Yes, I, I think you're right. That those are two phases that do get ignored, ignored quite often. Um, but as you say, it's a journey that goes from step A to step Z. It, there's there's no real missing as we kind of go go forward. <laughs> so, it, it, if we take that, then you've given us kind of the fundamentals. This is what you should be looking at. Let's say hypothetically, we've got this golden goose company listening to this podcast now. They've just opened up their company and they're like, "Yeah, let's focus on cybersecurity." Never happens, yeah. but let's say that uh -huh. that's going to happen now. What would you say to them that they should do when they're creating this threat mitigation strategy, this risk reports uh, from day one, and then hopefully companies who have been around a while will take advice from that? It's, it's interesting, right? Because I, I talk to organizations of all sizes. And again, I said it earlier, it's, it's almost my standard disclaimer, right? There's no one size fits all. And almost every organization just needs to approach things in the way that they they believe it is the right for them. But understanding that they have this framework they can work through or multiple frameworks and they have you know risk equations. I think, honestly, the place I would start is trying to figure out how much coverage can we get as a small organization or you know, to extrapolate it to a small or medium or large organization, how much coverage can we have? And how do we how can we get that to being a true 
24 by 7 focus because like at the end of the day security doesn't stop when you you know shut outlook and decide to go to the bar for a cocktail right this um is it can't be a nine to five job anymore no definitely not i you've probably been in the same boat but from a journalist perspective as well there's so many times when you're out in an evening and you go oh someone got hacked there goes all of that. I know what I'm doing tomorrow and what I'm covering. So it's... I mean, no disrespect, but I'd rather be a journalist than an <laughs> incident responder to get that Me kind too. of text. Says, oh, too. I've been hacked. I guess I better finish my pint and go back to work then. Exactly, exactly. No, I'm not trading, don't worry. I'm not swapping jobs. <laughs> um, can you share with us kind of a case study example of, you know, how Arctic Wolf is kind of helping businesses to really manage both that vulnerability and risk? Oh, I think I teed myself up really nicely for that question. Like, because I think the biggest change you're going to see is, is really how how Arctic Wolf can bring that true 24 by 7 focus to security tasks, right? Not just monitoring one application or, or one firewall, but bringing that security operations sensor to everyone. Like, think about it. For a, for a 24, I'm going to have to drop some more maths on you, right? For a 24 by 7 operation, even for, a, let's say, a small organization, you're going to need at least five people, right? You need... Three people maybe working solo for eight-hour shifts per day, uh, and then you need to cover weekends and holidays and sickness. So just to get to a bare bones twenty-four by seven, you need five people. And to your question a second ago about you know a company that this what do you call it a golden goose company that's starting up and you know trying to do th the right thing and think about security immediately, are they going to hire five people to do cybersecurity on their first day of trading? Of course not, right? No. I mean, it's expensive hiring, it's expensive salary, it's benefits, all that stuff. And that's just to get the, the tactical work done. So I guess from a case study in air quotes for what Active Wolf is helping with, like what we're doing is, is not only helping them staff up and provide coverage, right? Um, but we're taking the hard and the mundane work out. And so this is where you know, more the, the larger organizations can also make use of, of what we do here, letting the people that they already have do interesting things that are likely to want them to stay working there like mm -hmm. would your team rather chase tickets and false positives or would they rather do strategic planning for red teaming blue purple pick your color and orange teaming engagements and, and stress testing their incident response plans so i guess that's just really one part of what we bring is you know the ability to scale uh, a security operations Perfect. I think that's a, a great example of, of really one way it should be done. And mm -hmm. I'm going to throw one more question at you before I let you go, because I've been yammering at you for a while now. So we're coming to the end of the year, unfortunately, not to depress listeners or you, Ian, but um, <laughs> 2022 is fast approaching. And we're obviously going to be looking at new threats that are coming next year, existing ones, and we've got a whole another 12 months to kind of deal with. So what are you kind of hoping, if you did have kind of a magic wand, you could just wish that people would get right now to make life easier? Even if it's a small thing, what's one of your biggest bugbears that you want to see kind of <laughs> go the way of the dodo in 2022? Oh, man, I could I could probably pick three three or four. But if I pick one, right, one of my biggest pet peeves is the industry and even you know some security professionals um, that tend to blame end users for being stupid or doing stupid things, right? Mm -hmm. If you look at all the statistics about breaches, in, in one way or another, it comes back to a, a human mistake, whether that's the security expert didn't configure things properly or it's an end user that, that gave away uh, their credentials. Um, what I want to see is people stopping end users and stopping blaming end users, right? Just because you click on something doesn't mean that you're at fault. Like at the end of the day, we're all 
trained to do business in certain ways. We get emails with links in, we're going to click them. Yeah. So calling people stupid for, for, for doing what they're used to is really, really poor play and I, I question whether you know it's the end user that's stupid or the you know the security product that's stupid for allowing it to happen so what i would say is you know i would love to see every organization really trying to engage their end users with this really strong kind of security awareness program or, or training program so people can understand what to look for and not just assume that you know every link from every person that you don't know is is suspicious or malicious the way I like to say it is, you know, we want to engage our end users and not enrage them, right? And that's typically what happens with with um, security training is you do it once a year for two or three hours and it's just tedious. Like, let's, let's break that cycle and make, I don't know, what's the phrase? Foster a community between security organizations and end users. I think that's some solid advice. And uh, if anyone's offended by the answer, maybe you should have a look in the mirror of why you're offended <laughs> at that. Just, just saying, I'm just saying. Um, Ian, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. So thank you for coming on, giving your answers and uh, walking us through all of this. Much appreciated. Thanks so much. Cheers, Ian. And thank you, everyone, who took the time to listen to this episode. We do hope you took a lot away. If you are looking for more information on what we've discussed, there was a webinar about this um, on how to calculate cyber risk. We'll put a link down below. But you can also head on over to arcticwolf.com for more great resources. As I said at the top of the show, please subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. Continue the conversation on our socials at em360tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. And for more great daily content, head on over to em360tech. Dot com. Mm-hmm.